Owning a small business can be overwhelming. How can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy. Get Constant Contact. There's so many places to reach customers. Email, text messages, Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, live events. The list goes on. How are you, as the business owner, expected to own all of those channels? That's where Constant Contact comes in to help. With Constant Contact, you'll reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and communicate more effectively to sell more, raise more, and fast-track growth. I use this to grow my email list, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Forever Mighty Podcast. It's not a post-game show today. We got a prospect show for us, Eddie. Uh, with a special guest, huh? Yeah, it'll be good talking about the draft a bit. Uh, no more 10 p.m. nights for me or 2 a.m. nights doing the post game show, doing some actual shows at a pretty good time. I can actually go to bed not at uh, 3 in the morning, so it's pretty nice. All right, man. Well, let's kick this into gear. Let's get the intro rolling and, and bring on the guest. Trying to get by Benning. Darnell Nurse left it in the corner, gets up center. All right, everybody, as Patrick said, we've got a special guest on the show to talk about uh, the draft, somebody who knows a lot more about prospects than the two of us combined. Uh, we've got Steve Cornianos on, for NHL draft analyst for the draftanalyst.com and contributed to Dauber Prospects and Sporting News. How are you doing, Steve? How you doing, guys? Thanks for having me on tonight. No problem. So with the NHL entry draft coming up on June 22nd, uh, the you know Ducks fans have kind of been focusing on that since going out in the second round, uh, focusing on where, who, where they're going to be drafting, who they're going to pick. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about who they currently have in their system. Uh, I know you might know, I mean, you've been covering the draft for a while and you've seen who the Ducks have picked. How do you feel about sure. the Ducks' current pool of prospects with guys like Sam Steele, Max Jones, Josh Mahura? Uh, I think it's excellent, to be honest with you. Uh, you know, the stuff that's going on at the NHL level, uh, well, listen, you know, when you, you're trotting out Francois uh, Beauchemin and, you know, Kevin BX for a playoff game, it, it, you know, you probably. <laughs> I uh, need to just address the fact that, hey, maybe we should start getting a little bit younger. Um, the, the good news is that the Ducks have always drafted well, uh, even if you go through, the, you know, for whatever reason, they I guess they operate on a pretty tight budget and uh, they always make the most out of their dress. They, they usually don't like trading picks. 
and uh, by holding on to those picks, not only the high picks, the picks in the earlier rounds, guys like you said, Max Jones and uh, you know, uh, you know, Sam Steele, but they, they've also done really well in later rounds. I mean, Troy Terry was a later round pick. Um, Antoine Moran was a guy that I thought was first round quality. Uh, uh, and even Maxime Comtois was originally in his draft year in 2016 or 2017 was projected to be a like an almost a top 15 pick. Mm-hmm. And he had a little bit of a, a you know, basically up and down uh, year in the queue. But he actually, you know, he's a still a really good prospect. So overall uh, on defense, I mean, you know, Josh Mahara, Jacob Larson, uh, Marcus Pedersen. Uh, and then in goal, Ole Arsenek. They, they have they have prospects uh, at all key areas, uh, and they're ready to go, especially up front. So I don't know if they're going to be ready to jump right in uh, next year and turn things around and make them more of a tougher team to play against in the playoffs. Uh, but you look at building blocks, what they already have at the NHL level and what they have done on the farm. There's no reason why the Ducks can continue being one of the top teams in the Pacific, Pacific Division for the next few years. I had a question about uh, Maxine Comtois. You know, I know that he's a real recent draft pick. Um, I heard people talk a lot about his penalty killing ability, and I, I just made me wonder, just because I'm not, I'm not deep into prospects. Like, does that even matter at that level if they're not playing in the AHL or the NHL? Is that like a skill that's looked for? Now, I mean, it really, it, it's something that obviously, like, if you have a guy that's putting up a lot of points, uh, if he's if he's killing penalties, then you like that kind of like overall game. Uh, at the same time, we've seen a lot of offensive-minded guys who put up a lot of points in uh, major junior hockey in Canada, and they they're you know offense first, one trick ponies. They go to the NHL for whatever reason, whether it be their speed, maybe their anticipation skills. Uh, they're used on the uh, penalty kill to start off with, and it just kind of uh, stays with them the whole time. So uh, c- to me, Comtois is a guy that's always been really good in his own end. He's, of course, very physical. He's got really good size. Um, and what I like about him, it might have hurt him but uh, during his draft year, but I think overall, like long-term projection, you look at how he contributes at the NHL level, you like the fact that when he's not putting up points, he still could impact the game. And he, he gives it all on, on every shift. Uh, a little bit undisciplined at times, but uh, in terms of penalty killing, being physical, positioning himself in the right way, always having an active stick, those things you want to see in a teenager, and he's done that uh, really well the last few years. And so kind of shifting towards the guys that, are, that people more like know more about, at least with being Ducks fans, Sam Steele, Max Jones, Mahura, and Terry, um, we've all been waiting for them to get to the AHL so we can get a good look at them here in San Diego. Of those guys, who do you feel would be most ready for the big club on the off chance to get a long look after training camp? I'll be honest with you, like all four, I, you know, Max Jones to me, I, I've always been high on him and, you know, you know his, his attitude and kind of like the way he plays. He's like this, uh, he's kind of a pest, but at the same time, he's really skilled and super physical. Uh, there are times where you might look at his face on the bench and he might not look like he's taking the game that seriously, but when he's on the ice and he's locked in, he's unstoppable. So uh, you look at the way that the league is trending with these young kids. Uh, you know, they're cheap, uh, they're fast, they're skilled. So you know, I, I've been telling people for a while that in the NHL, 40 is the new 30 uh, or 30 is the new 40. So, you know, basically it's, it's a young man's game. So it used to be we'd say, oh, you know, these kids, they got to mature a little bit in the AHL, give them a couple years. But, I mean, man, you look at it, Sam Girard in Colorado, uh, Victor Mete in Montreal, Alex DeBrinkett in Chicago. These are like smallish, undersized guys. So who all who had really good rookie years in the NHL last year. So you can't even say that, oh, well, he's only 5'9", 180. He needs to put on some weight. You can't even say that anymore. So even a guy like Steele, who isn't the biggest guy in the world, he's more of a playmaking offensive type. 
there's no reason why he can't make the NHL out of camp next year. There's no reason why a quality defenseman, a two-way defenseman like Mahara can't make it. Like I said, Jones, maybe you got the whole maturity thing. Maybe he needs to be a little bit more serious uh, on a consistent basis. Maybe that'll be the only thing holding him back. But uh, overall, like you look at their – and Troy Terry, I mean, look, he played at the Olympics. The kid is, uh, you know, wise, well beyond his years. So I think if you look at all of them, if I had to pick one, I'd say Terry – because he does have that, that experience playing in college against older competition, playing uh, in the Olympics against older competition. So, uh, but still, I, I wouldn't be shocked if th- at least th- you know three out of the four make it out of camp next year if that's the direction the Ducks want to go. I mean, and some of the uh, the discipline thing when you talk about Max Jones, I figure him as like a bigger guy, and you know, he's hurt people in you know in, in his playing days so far. Maybe playing a bigger man's game would be beneficial to him, right? He won't always be looked at as kind of that guy. He, he'll get a chance to play against guys his own size. Yeah, and also depends on what, what role he's using. You know, if the coach tells him, hey, Max, so we need some energy, go out there and start hitting people. Uh, you know, I, I mean, he, he, he sometimes he's, when he hits people, he, he really hits them. So, uh, but when, you, when, he's, when he's in a zone, and there are times where he is in that zone, and, you know, j- just ask Jacob Chikrin about that. He undressed him twice in about a week a couple of years ago. Uh, you know, it was, you know, he could really be an unstoppable force. And I had him ranked pretty high. I thought he was a top 15 pick. Uh, maybe even close to top 10. So once he gets to the league, you know, you're in a locker room with a bunch of veterans. Obviously, it's a very good organization in terms of, uh, you know, history and the types of players that have been through that organization. Uh, what's uh, demanded, the fan base is, is quite demanding because, you know, they're used to winning. So I think little things like that, you know, he's not going to be that guy maybe right off the bat. Uh, but then again, look at Matt Kachuk. I mean, he, he went into a veteran situation and he's kind of like a similar player in terms of uh, being physical and agitating. So, yeah, who knows? But overall, I think uh, he is physically mature and he's ready to, to match some people if, if that's what the coach wants him to do. Yeah, and that, that's one guy we've all – I mean, one thing we've always kind of been worried about with Max Jones, ever, you know, ever since the couple of suspensions he's had, and even Bob Murray's come out and said that the discipline has been an issue for him. But you know, we talked to, to him recently on our last show, and you know, we asked him what he'd worked on most and, and trying to improve on this last season we were kind of expecting a cliche answer like you know I, I worked on uh, my offense or, or you know I worked on being a little bit more physical or worked on my off ice stuff but he actually said that he'd worked on being more disciplined and that he, he yeah. you know was looking to take that out of his game and I thought that was a great answer I mean that that's what we're all hoping to hear is that he's kind of taken that down a bit because we'd seen a lot of borderline hits from him playing on the edge in the OHL and you know he heard it from upper management with the Ducks to kind of tune that down and it looks like he's taken that to heart and really really focused on that I mean here's the way I look at it you look at a guy like Comtois you look at a guy like Jones both very physical forwards both extremely skilled and talented I mean I would tell them to tone it down and maybe but at the same time if you want to, you know, compete with the big boys, if you want to compete with the Kings and compete with the Sharks and compete with the with the uh, the Golden Knights, I mean, you know, you you want that intimidating presence. I mean, look at Tom Wilson with the Capitals. That guy's always told, you know, hey, tone it down, tone it down, and, and he he doesn't. And he, if it's the league uh, on his side, I don't know, but it, you know that it, it actually it's not being old school when you say that physical intimidation does play a big role. We saw Winnipeg do that to Minnesota in the opening round, like. You know, the defensemen were scared to go back and retrieve the puck uh, from all the Winnipeg guys uh, bearing down on them uh, with the heavy forecheck. So uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think, yeah, obviously, you know, you don't want to crush like a guy to the head. 
<laughs> or, you know, like spear them or something like that. But look, then again, Sidney Crosby spearing guys in the, uh, you know, uh, down below and also, you know, hacking guys oh, oh, yeah. offs and he got away with it. So, um, yeah, but I agree. It's good that the organization let him know. But at the same time, I think once he gets to the NHL, both of them, both Comtois and Jones, once they get to the NHL and they get comfortable with themselves and they're, uh, it's going to be a nightmare for other teams to, to try to war game to stop them. Yeah, I mean, it gone are the days where we had like five, six, seven of those guys on the team, but you still need one of those guys. I mean, you brought up Tom Wilson. You, you still kind of need those types of players on the team to succeed. I, I mean, it's it's like a new age enforcer where, I mean, Tom Wilson is still a very good player. He's still yeah. a, a very good skater as well. And then you see Max Jones coming up, and you know the difference, I think, be- between him and a guy like Nick Ritchie, who the Ducks drafted 10th overall back in the day, which we all still don't really want to talk about. But, you know, he's yeah, got the yeah. speed and he's got he's got the skill. That's the difference. I, I, you know, he yes, he can play on the edge. Yes, he's physical, but he also brings this offensive side and he's a fast skater, oh, yeah. which you need. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about Jones, too, you got to remember is that, you know, London, well, you know, I know he got moved, but London was a loaded team. Yeah. So he never really had the chance. He's the kind of player that I always felt like if he was on a another OHL team by himself and he was given the A or given a C and said, hey, like this is your team, you know, uh, you know, kind of a lead from the front kind of a, a situation, you know, you'd see different numbers from him. I think you might even see a little bit of uh, different attitude uh, what he did on the ice. But being in London and playing with all those all-stars and that so it's a ridiculous lineup, a Memorial, Memorial Cup winning lineup. You could basically take chances. You could take risks and say, you know what, I don't have to score tonight. I could just go out and mash people because I know I got Mitch Marner and you know Christian Dvorak or Cliff Poo or Robert Thomas or you. You just keep going down the list. Um, so uh, I think you know the key thing for Max Jones is to just focus on staying within himself when he's on the ice, understanding there's a time and a place to absolutely obliterate people. Uh, but just there's also a way to do it in a clean way or do it, you know, where it's kind of like almost borderline instead of just doing like, you know, listen, he, he talks a lot of junk. You know, that, that's his game. Like he, he, he's always yapping at the other team on the, uh, the other team from the bench. He's always talking uh, to them during faceoffs and things like that. So uh, you don't want him to change that game. The, the key thing for him, though, is to back it up offensively. That's going to be the big thing because if he's just the bottom line, uh, you know, agitator pest. Uh, on one of the bottom two lines, and you, you kind of wasted a high pick on him. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, the guy they took after him in, in Sam Steele in that draft, if, I mean, 2016 is turning out to be an, an excellent draft for a lot of teams, especially through the first and second rounds. If you had to redraft 2016, uh, where would you take Sam Steele? Do you think he's a top 15 guy if you're to redraft it based off what he's done so far? I mean, there are, there are a couple of guys that I, I would definitely, and you look at, there were some picks made that year. You know, you look at uh, Trent Frederick uh, to Boston, Logan Stanley to Winnipeg. Uh, I mean, some of, some of those, uh, even Dante Fabro. And I like Dante Fabro, but I always felt that uh, he's more of like of, a, of a, an, an enabler type. He's a guy that you kind of need to augment a system, not uh, yeah. build a system around him. And, you know, the thing about Steele, I, I was very high on him. I think he was a, a first-round. Uh, I had him ranked in like the, the, the top 25 is that he, he was a power play specialist, and, and I, I noticed that from the get-go, like how good he was in the power play. And some people might say, well, you know, he's on the power play in major junior hockey. Anybody could put up points. But the thing about the power play is it's very important in the NHL. Like, <laughs> you need guys. People always say, like, oh, well, he, all his points uh, weren't five-on-five. Or I, I get it, and five-on-five um, production is a, does carry over to the next level. It's a good indicator. 
Uh, but yeah, I would say you got to put Steele somewhere in that top fifteen, uh, top twenty. Considering uh, you know redrafting is kind of weird because like, does he go to another team? Uh, what's that situation like? What if he has a run-in with a coach or doesn't a teammate doesn't get along with? There's always a lot of stuff. So that's why I don't uh, do the redraft thing too often. But if you look at guys that might have been uh, stolen in a later portion of a round, uh, you got to look at Steele because you know I, I watched Regina during the uh, the entire Memorial Cup. I, I mean, he was one of the best players in the whole tournament, if not the best player uh, with the puck. So uh, yeah, I think that 2016 draft, like you said, is looking really good, and these kids are going to be pouring into the league next year whatever number made their debuts uh this year you're gonna see a lot more not just first rounders you're gonna see a lot of kids from the second and third round of that draft uh making their debuts this year now so before we hop into this year's draft i got another question from uh it's actually going back a little bit here jacob larson uh the defenseman for the ducks um he hasn't seen a lot of time he's only seen four games he was kind of highly touted coming in uh, do you feel like he still has the same amount of potential he did when he was drafted 27th, uh, 27th overall in 2015, or do you kind of feel like it just didn't work out? No, no, no. Listen, Swedish defenseman, uh, especially playing in, in uh, Europe, uh, you, you gotta you got to be a little kind of patient with them. I know they're uh, – you, know, you, you look at the Swedish Hockey League, it's 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 probably the third best league in, in, in the world behind the KHL and uh, the NHL. So, uh, you know, they, they always favor the older guys there. Uh, at the same time, you know, we see defensemen, all quality defensemen, when they make the first jump into the NHL or the AHL, uh, it always takes a little bit for them to develop. But no, I, listen, he was never going to be the franchise guy. He was never going to be the guy that you say, uh, you know, this guy is going to be my 25, 27 minute a night guy. He's going to be a Norris candidate every year. Uh, and when you consider how deep and strong that the 2015 draft was, uh, where he was slotted, yes, okay, Brandon Carlo was picked after him, and he's in the NHL playing top four minutes. You know, you could play that game with any draft. If you look at the Ducks situation, the Ducks always had really quality defensemen in their system and also at the NHL level. Obviously, I think now when you look at what happened in the postseason, how they you know, they got some age back there and they, they might want to start focusing on you know, maybe infusing some of these young guys, I, I think you got to give them another chance, at least another year or two, uh, because, uh, you know, Plus, you know, a full year in the AHL is always good. It never hurts. Well, that makes sense. I think the people were just concerned here just because he was passed over uh, for other guys like Patterson came up, Walensky came up. So everyone's kind of wondering, hey, where's where's Larson? Like everyone was looking for him to come up to the Ducks organization after he played those four games in 2016. But it's good to hear you think he still has something left and give him some more time. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, listen, if you draft uh, a fifth or sixth defenseman, with the 27th overall pick, and, and and if I recall correctly, I think the the Ducks that year went to the conference finals, didn't they? In in, in 2015, um, or did they? I forgot. Yeah, no. I, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, they they had the yeah the 27th pick in that draft, so they they would have went far. Yeah. Yeah. So so w- w- when you finish that well in the standings, and then you go. Uh, and you draft a guy, and he turns out to be a fifth or sixth defenseman that maybe plays, you know, 17 to 18 minutes a night. It's still not bad. You want these guys to definitely develop into a quality NHLer. Doesn't have to be that top pairing guy. I think, unfortunately, because of how strong that draft class was, he's always going to be looked at as okay. Well, like, how does he compare to the likes of Travis Dermott and, uh, you know, like I said, um, uh, Brandon Carlo with the Bruins, other defensemen that were taken after him. Uh, that might be doing better than he did in the AHL and uh, making their NHL debuts and kind of sticking with the team. So, But even like I said, it, it doesn't hurt to give him a year or two to marinate uh, down in the minors. And uh, like I said, they, 
even if other guys pass him, it's not the worst thing in the world because it just gives him more time to work on whatever issues he has. Yeah, and, and quickly talking about, uh, I mean, it, it's a little bit about a, a current Ducks prospect and Josh Mahura, but more of the situation that happened to him. I, I mean, he missed pretty much his entire draft season due to an injury. Yep. Uh, do you think prospects, I mean, when they miss that much time in their draft season, of course it impacts the rankings, but but how much do you think it really impacts it? Because I think, you know, if you look at him now, he's probably a guy that could have gone in the second round if he had another oh, yeah. good season. He ends up dropping to the third. you think... You know, if they miss their whole seasons, but around, I know it's hard to justify, but but how much do you think that impacts it? Uh, it you know, in the past, first uh, first of all, I thought Mahara was first round quality. So even even though the 2016 draft uh, at the time didn't look all that, it wasn't as deep as compared to 2015, but it was still pretty good. Uh, I, I thought that without the knee injury, I thought he would have been a guy that you would have considered to be uh, in the lower part of the first round, especially when you look, when you look at other defensemen that that went late. Well, middle to late of the first round, early second round of that draft. Uh, so we've seen teams. I think it happened to Brett Connolly in 2000, and uh, I think it was 2010, uh, where he missed a bunch of time. I think he only played like 10 games, and uh, Tampa went out and you know rolled the dice and took him anyway. Uh, you look at also, I think it was Alex Galchenyuk. I mean, he went, uh, yeah, he missed his practically his entire season. And he was, what, third overall in 2012? So I don't think it really matters. Look, Nolan Patrick was another guy. He missed, uh, I think I tweeted it out last yeah. uh, last year, that if you look at all the players uh, who were picked first overall that missed, you know, uh, you know, 35 games or more, you know, the names weren't, weren't that great. It was, you know, like, you know, Gord Kluzak, who had his injury issues, Neil Yakupov, who had his issues. So, uh, and yeah, you know, go figure, you know, Patrick goes out and plays a, a full, almost a full season with the Flyers. Yeah. So I, I think it depends on the severity of the injury. It depends on the kid's resume. Uh, you know, obviously the, the, the combine isn't a big deal to me. It never was. But in a situation like Mahara's or any other prospect who has injury issues, that's where that's a good time for them to not only test out how strong they are, but uh, give the teams a kind of a warm and fuzzy uh, on uh, what the upside is in terms of their, their I guess, their long-term, uh, the ability to heal in the short term. So getting on over to this year's draft, everyone's talking about falling for Dolan, Rasmus Dolan, but we're going to talk about the guy you have slated as your number one, no, as yeah. Andre Sveshnikov. What makes him so so much uh, more special, or is he is it just that close, but or you just like his game more? I know they play two different positions. He's a you know power forward scorer, but uh, what makes him so special? You put him first overall. All right, well, first of all, I, I mean, you know, it's it's basically neck and neck. I, you know, I know some people want to say that it's Darlene and everybody else. Uh, I'm the only guy. I really, I think I'm really the only guy that's publicly yeah. gone out and ranked <laughs> Spectacle ahead of Darlene. It's you know, it's and it's not clickbait. It's not to, to get attention to myself. I've been watching Spectacle uh, since he was about 15. I don't know if you guys remember in 2016, the uh, the Russia had a U18 program, kind of like our NTDP. And they, they all, uh, you know, uh, pissed hot for uh, whatever, some meldonium, some like stimulant that yeah. they're saying was like a caffeine type thing. But they got banned from the U18 Worlds. So at the last minute, it was in Grand Forks in uh, North Dakota. Uh, at the last minute, Russia had to kind of like scurry together a team to send there. And they sent the majority of their U17s. But Svechnikov went there and he was only 16. And he was playing against, you name it, all the big names, Casey Middlestadt. Uh, and what have you, and, and he had a great tournament as a 16-year-old. So that kind of like set the tone, like, man, this kid's special. 
He's a lot better than his brother, who was a you know, first-round pick for the Red Wings in 15. And then he wins Rookie of the Year in the USHL. He had the highest uh, goal-scoring uh, ratio, I guess, goal-scoring uh, per game, goals per game, uh, by a 16-year-old in the history of the UHL, uh, except for one guy, Thomas Vanek, uh, who did it when he was 16. And then he goes to the OHL, and he has the highest uh, five-on-five uh, goal total for a first-year draft eligible based on his uh, – at even strength, uh, based on his time on ice in like 30 years. It was crazy. So He's almost and, a goal a game. Yeah. I mean, he was on pace. If he played the full season – remember, he missed time because uh, I guess he broke his hand and he also uh, played at the World Juniors. If he played a full season, which is 68 games, he would have scored 50 – Five zero even strength goals. So, yeah, so you're looking at a guy that would have scored about yeah. 70 goals in his pre-draft year as a 17-year-old in the OHL, which many regard as the – now, when you stack up those numbers against who had similar production or in terms of goals, th- there isn't anybody. That's, that includes McDavid, Kane, Taylor Hall, uh, Nathan McKinnon, yeah, uh, Tyler Sagan, all, all the major junior guys, all three leagues, Dub, Q, and OHL – it was like one of the greatest goal scoring seasons in, in the history of, of Major Junior since, you know, I guess, uh, you know, like, I guess like the late 80s. Because Mario Lemieux, I think, when you score like 140 goals. So no one's going to beat that. Yeah. But so all these things considered, I, I always wondered why are people not paying more attention to what this kid is doing? I know Deline has the YouTube clips and he's a flashy guy and gen- defensemen don't uh, like uh, Deline don't come around uh, all that often. The other thing is you look at the history of the league. You look at the history of the Hart Trophy winners. You look at the history of the Ross winners. You look at the history of the Richard winners. And you look at the history of the Norris winners. You know, most defensemen, the majority of defensemen that are the better defensemen in the league, they're not top three picks. You got two exceptions in Dowdy and Hedman. And are those guys generational? I would venture to say no, they're really not. Uh, Generational to me is a guy like Lidstrom or Ray Bork or Doug Harvey who were winning uh, Norris trophies every year, first team all NHL, and also getting a lot of heart trophy votes. So I just don't see Deline fitting into that category just yet. It's a lot of pressure to put on a kid to call him that generational once-in-a-lifetime prospect. I mean, so I, and on the same time, you look at all the forwards who win the hearts and Rosses and Rashards, they're all top three picks. I mean, you, I mean, you go down the list. Uh, you look at the MVP uh, race this year. You look at the Ross race this year. Eight out of the top ten goal scorers were either picked first or second overall. Um, so... Yes, I used to think that you build from the net out, right? You start with the goalie and you yeah. get the puck-moving defensemen, the shutdown guys, and then you could just put whatever forwards you want. But we're not seeing that anymore now. The league has changed. You can't even sneeze on a guy without being called for a penalty. So I think that when, when you, if you want to be that dominant team, you're going to need two top forwards. And you look at Chicago. They had, uh, you know, they had Taves and they had Kane, both very high picks. The best defenseman, Duncan Keith, was a second-round pick. You look at Nashville. Forsberg and Johansson, very high picks. Obviously, Johansson uh, with the uh, Blue Jackets, but who's their best defenseman? Well, their two best defensemen, Roman Yossi and P.K. Subban, they were not first-round picks. Uh, so obviously, you know, Victor Hedman's a little bit of the exception. Same thing with the Kings with Dowdy. Uh, but again, what I always tell people when it comes to my ranking as Svechnikov, it's going to be like Malkin and Ovechkin in 04, or Stamkos and Dowdy in 08, or Tavares and Hedman in 09. After about a month, or maybe three months of their rookie years, no one's going to be talking about what number they were drafted. These guys are going to win a ton of awards. Uh, I just, I'm, I lean more towards the forward nowadays. Just, just, it seems like the way the league's trending. Is that? Do you think Buffalo would make a mistake if they if they don't pick him and they pick and they pick Darlene? Uh, from a PR mistake, they'll, they'll they'll burn the building down. But 
no. <laughs> but 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 no no they they won't be now listen you already got Jack Eichel. You already got Casey Middlestad. He could, he's proven he could play wing and center. And then you got Alex Nylander, who was a high pick, and he's a goal-scoring winger. So, yeah, I guess you could say they're building two powerhouse lines, but we've seen that too many cooks in the kitchen thing doesn't really work out. You know, with the, look at what the Oilers did try to do. Uh, look what Russia did at the, Olymp- the Olympics all those years before this year where they always had all this hype, you know, these firepower on every single line. It just didn't work out. And plus the fact that they haven't had a franchise defenseman since Phil Housley you right. know, some, uh, some 30 uh, some odd years ago. So, no, they need to lean like he is going to be the first overall pick. They'd be stupid not to take him. But if they really like stretch the call, then dude, like trade down. You know what I mean? Like trade down and, and like maybe there'll be like a Mike, uh, a Mike Ditka out there to pull a Ricky Williams and like trade a whole draft for one pick. I mean, but no, nah, I, I think. Uh, Sveshnikov going second overall is perfectly fine. I think even if he goes third overall is perfectly fine. Uh, you know, I, this is Deline's draft. He deserves it. You look at everything that he's done. Quite historic, and uh, I'm just looking forward to watching him play in the league. Yeah, and, and, and let's just we've, – we've talked about Deline. We've talked about Sveshnikov. So we've got the top two essentially off the board. I mean, it would be surprising to see anybody else go in one of those two slots. So let's uh, let's just kind of venture through what you have here as your top ten on your on your ranked on top five hundred. It moves into Philip Zadina, who would if it ended up working out, that would be Montreal at third. Do you think he's essentially the next best guy after those guys? Yeah, is, yeah, absolutely. Really, yeah. So yeah. so let's talk about him a bit and what kind of makes him so special. Well, he he's been my number three literally. My one, two, and three has not changed from the time that I did my watch list in July. So it's been that way the whole year. Zadina. Like Sveshnikov uh, has always been the go-to guy on his on his team uh, internationally. He's he's one of those kids where he was just too good to play in the junior teams in the Czech Republic, so they put him on uh, part of Biche in the extra league, which is the their elite league, as a 17 or really as a 16 year old. Uh, and every time that you watch the Czechs play internationally, and they've always played in a lot of big tournaments, they won the Halenka in 2016, which was played in the Czech Republic. So it was a huge deal in the country. You know what I mean? And Zadina was the best player that whole tournament. He was the main reason why. And this team, the Czechs, had Martin Achas and Philip Hedl, who were both first-round picks uh, in 2017. So it's not like he was, like, the only guy that they had to lean on. Like, he was just the best of the best. Uh, he's a 200-foot winger. He could score goals with the best of them, has a great shot, competes hard. He's really strong on his skates, uh, can kill penalties, run a power play, uh, very dangerous in open ice. So I think... Uh, if you look at the Canadians and they're picking at three and they had their, their GM has come out and said, you know, we got a lot of character issues. We need to you know, make uh, uh, a culture change. He's the perfect guy to, to, to add to that. And if, if he goes second overall and Svechnikov is there, then same thing. You got two similar 200 uh, foot uh, power wingers that could score goals. So uh, you can't go wrong with either one. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up there because there, there was some rumors that uh, Carolina might go for Zadina because he played with Martin Etches at the the World Juniors and they had a lot of chemistry there. I think that's a I'm, I I don't see it happening, but I based off what we've all heard about Svechnikov, do you think that's a big mistake for them to pass up on him at number two and leave him to Montreal? Well, it's dangerous because you, they're in the same. Uh, you know, the first uh, four picks are all in the same conference. Uh, the, the teams picking one yeah. through four are all in the same conference. So I think it's in three in the same division, Buffalo, Ottawa, and Montreal. So I, I don't I don't like playing that game. You know, I'm not a GM, but if I'm building a team, the whole familiarity thing, uh, you know, unless Nachas is like banging on the table saying, we need to have this kid, I can't play with anybody else. 
Uh, but no, I mean, you, you know, you look at a guy like Svechnikov, they're, they're very similar players. The one reason why I like Svechnikov over Zadina is two reasons. Number one, he's faster. Svechnikov is. He's just a lot faster. He's got a better stride. And the second reason why is, is Svechnikov, and no one talks about this, really. It seems like I'm the only one talking about it, is he's mean. He's not uh, uh, just yeah. a power forward like a Chris Kreider who, you know, just barrels into the net and can absorb a hit and maybe throw the body once. He is a mean, nasty player. He's been suspended a bunch of times uh, playing in the OHL. He, 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 he butt ends, he spears, he elbows, uh, he finishes his checks. He, he, you know, the kid doesn't speak English all that well, but you could just, when you watch him on the ice, people are really, really scared of this kid. And so I think Carolina has never really had that since really since Eric Stahl, they haven't had that that franchise guy. And, and with all due respect to Zadina, as much as I love him, I think you'll you'll find another Philip Zadina in next year's draft and the draft thereafter. Yeah. Where especially Paul, he's like a line A or an or an Ovechkin from a goal scoring standpoint, you know, and he's got the personality to kind of match it. So I, I would say no, he, draft him, pair him with Aho, and uh, you know, thank me later. Yeah. Well, let's uh, move on to number four, and uh, that's where the Sens would be picking in this draft. You've got Adam Bockfist at four. Now, if they end up taking the defenseman at this point, uh, do you think that essentially is a replacement? I know it won't be a like-for-like replacement for Eric Carlson, but do you yeah. think they go for Adam Bockfist to kind of bring in another guy to slot in behind him eventually? Listen, I know people always talk about Deline, and they try to compare him to you know every Swedish defenseman you could think of. Uh, the thing is, stylistically, the one guy that is a lot like Eric Carlson is Adam Buquist because, I mean, you just watch the kid, the, his skating, the size, I guess the stylistically, the, the, the shot power, uh, everything is there. You know, you know, Eric Carlson was not a good defenseman uh, from a defensive standpoint when he was, you know, 17, 18 years old. He wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so anyone saying, well, you know, uh, Buquist isn't that great in his own end. You know, I got a chance to see, speaking of Sveshnikov and Buquist. So they had the five eight U eighteen Five Nations tournament in Plymouth, Michigan, back in February, and I'm like, this is going to be the best tournament we've had in a while in terms of draft talent all in one place. Because normally the Swiss are there, and what they did this year is they swapped out the Swiss with Russia. So Svechnikov was there, yeah. Grigory Denisenko was there, Buquist, everybody was there really except Deline and Zadina. Zadina because he wasn't, he was too old, and Deline obviously was, uh, you know, just, I guess he was uh, the tournament was beneath him or something like that. I don't think it was, but I, you know, he was yeah. obviously like he, he had the Olympics and other stuff going on. Yeah. Um, so I, I watched the, you know, the, the Russia Sweden game and the Russia USA game and the two games that I really wanted to focus in on and watching Buquist and Svechnikov go one-on-one and back and forth. There was one specific play. I know it's just one play, but it really stood out. And the thing about that arena, USA hockey arena in Plymouth, it's usually about like maybe a hundred people there. That arena was packed with NHL scouts and not just one scout. It was like every GM was there. Every scouting director was there. Every, uh, the European scouts were there. It was just a, it was a really huge event. And Svechnikov was barreling down the wing. And I'm like, Oh my God, he's going to, he's going to eat Buquist alive. Cause you know, Svechnikov has like four inches on him. And the kid maintained a really, really tight gap was re- using an active stick and somehow fixed, uh, Svechnikov right into the corner, and Svechnikov just fell down. Buquist took the puck and skated right up ice. Now, just one play. I'm sure the yeah. worst defense in the league have had you know, moments like that. Uh, but it just showed, like, when a kid who's 17 can do that against the premier talent, then you, you know there's something to work with. So I think whether they trade Carlson or not, you know, and they do have Thomas Shabbat there already, who's a very good 
uh, I guess, 1A or a guy to groom to replace Carlson one day. Uh, still, you you got you get a guy like Buquist or really any of the top five or six defensemen after Deline in that first round. You're looking at one of the deadliest power play t- tandems uh, that run the points in the league. So uh, I just think it makes sense because the kid's Swedish, and may, even if Carlson is there for only one more year, it would be uh, nice to have someone to mentor. Now moving on to to pick five, it's you're looking at Arizona. Now that you have listed Joel Farabee in that slot, is that somebody you think that would fit Arizona's need? I I kind of look at it from that perspective. I mean, is I know they have all you know Oliver Ekman Larson on the back end, but you can't you can't really hurt to have another forward there. Yeah, well, the thing about Arizona is they 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 have a lot of players like Farabee on their team already. Uh, so even though I where I rank a guy, I, it doesn't necessarily mean I think that's that's where he's going to get drafted. It's yeah. more like long term. When all is said and done, let's look back at this ten years from now. If you did a redraft, I want that redraft to look as close to my first round. Uh, or, or, you know, as it was when I released the rankings. So uh, I think they're going to go defenseman. I think that uh, they have, obviously, Oliver Ekman Lawson there. They've offered him the eight-year extension. Uh, you know, we still don't know about that. They also have Jacob Chikrin. But after that, there's a little bit of a drop-off. Uh, you know, and I know they had a great second half last year. But in terms of all the quality forwards that they have, you know, Clayton Keller and Max Domi. And, uh, you know, so I think that they, they can go for forward. But this defense is really this draft is really rich on defensemen, so I think maybe Quinn Hughes or a guy like Buquist, if he slips down, might be uh, might make a little bit more sense to them. But having you know, Farabee, you mentioned in your scouting report, three zone playmaker, he's smooth skating too, so it, there's not, not a downside there. It's just no, 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 no. And it, you're, you're and it really that. Arizona can really listen. They didn't have a first round pick, uh, at least uh, well, a, a high pick last year because they traded it for Derek uh, Stepan. Uh, so I think that they might view, say, hey, listen, you know, we, we missed out last year on getting that that uh, elite forward. So let's let's go back at it again. And maybe because the draft is so deep in defensemen, puck moving defensemen, that is that they could attack that problem uh, or maybe that uh, uh, that void uh, in the later rounds or maybe even in the second round or something like that. So, yeah, I could see, you know, if you look at if you're looking at creating a super line. You got Clayton Keller, who could play center or wing. You know, Max Domi is a wing. Maybe they go for center. Maybe you know, Dylan Strom. We we still don't kind of know what he's going to become. He was drafted third overall, and he was he was picked ahead of a lot of quality players that have proven themselves uh, at the NHL level already. So if they view Dylan Strom to be that number one guy, maybe drafting a winger like a Farabee or an Oliver Wallstrom uh, to kind of complement them and really build two quality lines uh, for the uh, at the NHL level. So moving on to number six, then you got you got Joe Valino. So you, out of the QMJHL, right? Yeah. Where do you where do you kind of see his game? I, I love him. Man. He's he's like a Matthew Shane, uh, Ryan Johansson kind of combination. He's got really good size. You know, he's about six one, one ninety five, but he could fly. He could flat out fly. And you know, this center, this draft is not very deep with centers. You're looking at p- possibly, quite possibly. This could be the first draft in NHL history. You know, we're talking about going back all the way to the 60s where not a single center is taken within the first 10 picks. Uh, I Well, uh, yeah, because we uh, one, one through 10, that is, because uh, we've had some centers taken 10 or uh, 11. So, I mean, if, if you're going to if a center is going to crack that list, I think it's going to be Valeno or maybe Barrett Hayton. But, yeah, he's a he's a fast playmaker with good size, competes hard uh, from the beginning of, of the shift to the very end. Uh, his goal scoring really increased and improved in the second half. Uh, in the second half, when he got traded from St. John to Drummondville, so 
usually, you know, teams want that big center, that franchise center. I don't know if Valeno's going to be a franchise center, but, but I do think that his, his skill set, how smart he is, how mature he is, I think he'll be perfect and he'll be a top six center in the NHL. I mean, you mentioned big franchise center. Eddie and I were just talking before the show. Like, we were trying to think of there is is there a top line guy in the NHL right now that's that's under five foot eleven who's a center? No, like, I mean, that's a starting guy. They just they just don't really exist. Yeah, I mean, it's just a it's just a thing that teams want. You know, they want. I know the Rangers drafted uh, Leah Sanderson with that seventh pick they got from Arizona, and he's listed under six foot. Uh, but you know, size I don't think will will matter. But as you as you look at the postseason, you look at the teams. That uh, that do go deep in the playoffs, you need a big center. You need a whether it be a, a Kopitar or uh, you know Nick Backstrom isn't a little guy. He's a, he's pretty big. I mean he's at least he's he's at least six one. So uh, you know Taves. You are even with the Ducks with Ryan Kessler. Like you you need uh, Getzlaff and Kessler. Like you need a center. Whether he's going to check for you, or he's going to be that top line guy. You just it just makes life a lot easier, I guess. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. Going back to Valino, he comes out. He's six foot two, one ninety four. He's got good size coming in as a center. Then, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, he, uh, yeah, the the size, the the, the thing about Valino is, is his speed and his playmaking. He'll make the power play better. He's just a very hard competitor. And plus, you could use him not just on the power play, but you use him also use him on the penalty kill as well. Yeah, I got kind of a side note on, on Valeno because he got traded to Drummondville, and, and recently there was reports that Maxim Comtois is actually going to be traded to Drummondville for next year. And it looks like really there's two teams loading up in the queue next next year, and of course Halifax, who were the hosts, and then Drummondville. How do you think he's going? Those two are really going to pair up next year. I mean, I feel like they're they're going to dominate for Drummondville next year. The two of them paired together if they do end up playing on the same line, but it's looking like a pretty good team that they're they're assembling over there. Yeah, if you so if you want to classify Comtois as a power forward, which he is, um, if you watched uh, Valeno play at, with St. John, St. John was a very bad team to yeah. start the year, and they they really were a one line team. And he was playing a lot with Ostap Safin, the big Czech uh, power forward, who was an Edmonton draft pick uh, last year. I think it was like a fourth round pick. Uh, and just what Valeno does what he's really good at is just finding ways to draw people away from the low slot. Because he's an excellent stick handler. He's also very quick on his feet. So he's controlling the puck for a long period of time. He's just always, you know, usually teams want their power forwards like, oh, keep your feet moving, you know, find the openings, get into shooting position. The thing about Valeno is he, he creates those openings for his wingers. So uh, I think it'll be perfect. Uh, you know, the fact that Valeno's so responsible defensively might make a guy like Comtois say, hey, you know what? Like, I don't want to start putting up some points. You know, I, I, Joe, Joe's got my back because yeah. he back checks. He's very fast. Where it's not really going to be, uh, you know, you're not going to really rely on Comtois to be that that shutdown guy to back check or to bust it back when you have a center that could do it for you. Moving on over to to Brady Kachuk, um, and this is somebody that uh, is going to is he going to fall right in line with his lineage with the type of player that he's coming from, like the you know the type of pedigree he's from. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, I watched uh, almost his entire season at the with the NTDP a couple years ago. Uh, and a lot of being a Northeastern guy, I'm always watching BU. So I watched a lot of them this year. And listen, you know, there's always one kid. You know, Makachuk got a lot of uh, – took a lot of heat in his draft year. Not really from scouts, more from like, you know, fans and blogs and message boards uh, and Twitter basically saying that Makachuk was a product of Mitch Marner and uh, he's, he's the king of the secondary assist. And and you, you you go back and you look at that draft, you're like, you know what? Maybe he was, you know, the third best player behind Matthews and Line. I mean, he's that good of a player. Brady 
it is so difficult to put up points in, in college. I, I wish more people understood that. You know, I know that we have metrics. We have NHLE that really says, like, hey, listen, you know, 50 points in the OHL is more like, you know, uh, like 80 points uh, or, you know, it's more like 20 points in, in college. There are defensemen in college that are 25 years old, 24 years old. I mean, these guys, uh, because they play in junior A hockey or the USHL, if they play in that league until they're 21 and they, and they go to college – they're not they're not graduating without being at least 23 or 24 or 25 years old. So when you watch a kid play, uh, whether it's for a deep program like BU or it's not, it's not easy to be a freshman and just jump right in and dominate. Yes, Brock Besser did it. Yes, Kyle Connor did it. Yes, Clayton Keller did it. But when you look at the kind of player that, that Brady Kachuk is, what he did at the NTDP, that you know, wasn't really a deep team from a forward standpoint – Plus the fact that BU relied heavily on him to turn their season around, especially when uh, Greenway went to the Olympics. You know, I, I don't. He's he's actually a better skater than Matt and, and his father were. So the, so right off the bat, don't worry about the skating because I've already tweeted it and with gifs and video and everything that like this kid can skate. So it's not a concern. The issue really, I think, might be that he took so many shots and he only had like maybe eight goals. But you know, we all know that 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 eventually changes and everything kind of rounds out. So I, I think that. Yes, Central Scouting ranked him ahead of Zadina with the second uh, second best North American skater for their rankings. Uh, I think that he might slip a little bit, but at the same time, if you talk to him, if you if you see him on interview, if you watch him play, no one should be surprised at NHL uh, if an NHL team is in love with this kid and takes him really high. I mean, he's a special player. I don't think he's going to be like an 85, 90 point guy. He's not going to win a lot of Ross trophies, but he's going to be that perfect guy to have on your top six. Uh, to do everything for you, kill penalties, uh, run the power play, uh, and be that intimidating presence. And the last thing about him is, you know, he's a lot more disciplined than his brother was. His brother was, a, is it still is, a very dirty player. You, you know, there's a lot of stuff that just you, makes you, what the heck is he thinking? Brady is, is a, it has, it's controlled violence. He knows what he's doing, and he doesn't really hurt his team in the penalty box in that regard. Yeah, that's what I was actually going to ask, because I heard from some people, I've only watched a small Hello? bit of his games, mostly at the... Uh, at the uh, the world the world juniors and uh, you know I've heard that he's meaner than than uh, than Matt. I mean, obviously, like you said he, it's a little bit more controlled, but does he have a little bit more of a mean streak than Matt or his dad had? Yeah, they're, they're, they're all the same. I mean, I don't know how you could really gauge. I mean, some people yeah. I, I've read that where they're like he's meaner. Uh, no, I, I mean I've watched them play plenty. To me, it's they're all the same. You're a Kachuk. You play like a Kachuk. There's really no. Uh, I mean, how did you? If, if I watched Keith when he was at BU back in the in the late '80s, early '90s, like you know, a Kachuk is a Kachuk. You know what I mean? Yeah. They're going to do stuff. But I think Brady is a little bit more mature. Understands now that the game, the league is is handled a little bit differently. So, uh, and Matt's going to learn that too eventually. I don't think you're going to see him do this, some of the stuff that he did this past season. Yeah, and I think this next pick here in, in Ty Smith, uh, just kind of like how you had Svechnikov over Rasmus Dahlin, it's a, it's a little bit uh, off the board compared to what I, I yeah. guess the consensus is, is you've got him above guys like Quinn Hughes, Noah Dobson, Evan Bouchard. What, what is it about Ty Smith that you have him, that you think he's essentially going to be the third best uh, defenseman in this draft? Yeah, he's a wonderful player. First of all, he's extremely mature. Uh, so he's, he's about 5'11", 170, but... First of all, he's an outstanding skater, outstanding puck rusher, outstanding puck distributor. Uh, and I just – I love his maturity. You know, like you need that defenseman to calm things down. And there are times where I watched guys like Evan Bouchard and Adam Buquist and Quinn Hughes. And they just they just go, 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 go. 
and they take a lot of risks, a lot of yeah. risks, and a lot of the times those risks don't really pan out, and so you put your teammates, uh, you know, in a precarious situation. The thing about Smith, and it really started at the Holenka last year or last summer, was he, every time there were the, the ice was tilting, he was the guy that leveled it, and I, I, I love the fact that you know he had a miserable top prospects game he he and Noah Dobson were paired together I think they were like a combined minus eight it was it was brutal it was the worst game I think I've ever seen a defense pairing have considering how how highly they were rated uh I don't know why he's not ranked as high as as I have him in other uh, rankings he ran Spokane's power play which isn't easy to do considering they have Kyle Yamamoto and, and Jared Anderson Dolan so uh to me there's a lot of Ray Bork in him. I'm not going to say he's going to be as physical and as intimidating as Ray Bork was, but he's, he, there's a little bit of Bork, a little bit of Dowdy in him. When he gets bigger, uh, he's just he's a student of the game, and to me that that means a lot. Yeah, and, and this this next guy. I mean, this I'm not that old, but looking at Oliver Wallstrom and finding out that he was the guy, the, the nine year old who scored that yeah. insane yeah. shootout goal in the Boston Bruins game, and then now he's up for, for his draft year. It made me feel a little bit old, but, uh, I mean, he's come a long way from there, and now he's projected to go within the top ten. Yeah, he. I think he's going to probably be a top five pick. Uh, yeah. I, my, my thing about Wallstrom, uh, I know that, first of all, he, he's a power forward. He's a menacing power forward. He's, he's a fearless guy, but he also could kill penalties. He's also a guy that you could use uh, in really any situation, power play, late in games, late close, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the thing about Wallstrom was he began the year playing with Joel Farabee, and Joel Farabee was the guy that, that, that ran that line. Uh, the original center was Jake Wise, and he missed the season, most of the season with an injury. So it was really Farabee's job as a winger to run that line. And it was all about getting Wallstrom into shooting position and just feeding him you know, puck after puck after puck. And he was having a really good season. It was wasn't really anything uh, mind blowing. It was more like okay, he's about a you know maybe top ten to fifteen pick. Well, Jack Hughes joins the team, and you know Quinn Hughes's brother. He's going to be probably the first overall pick in next year's draft. Uh, is a uh, like a mini Connor McDavid in a way. And and what they decided was they took Farabee off that line, and they made uh, Hughes and Walsham the centerpiece really of of the NTDP's attack. And of course, when you got a playmaker like Hughes, Wallstrom's uh, shot volume was about the same, but he, he, now he was burying a lot of a, a, a lot more of his chances, uh, averaging almost a goal a game. So I think that when you look at that kind of production with an elite playmaker like a Quinn Hughes or a, or a Jack Hughes, plus the fact that he was able to generate a lot of shots playing with a guy like Farabee, who wasn't even a center, he was a winger. Yeah, I, I think that 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 overall package is going to make him. I think most scouts that you, know, you talk to, they just love the kid. And plus, on top of that, he, he's smart. He was going to go to Harvard. He obviously decommitted. Now he's going to go to Boston College, I think. Uh, so, um, yeah, watching that play, that, that little the goal he scored at the Boston Garden uh, a while back, he's a little bit different. He, I mean, he's, a, he's pretty fancy with the puck when he has to be, but now he's just like, he's like this brute that barrels over people and has an actual laser of a shot. So, uh, you know, 40-goal potential, definitely. Yeah, and then the last guy you have in your top ten, you had just mentioned there, in Quinn Hughes, and uh, another guy that's that's kind of being touted as maybe the second best defenseman after Rasmus Dallin. Well, what do you think you see from him? I mean, he had his his season this year in Michigan in the NCAA, and he, he did a wonderful job, which is why he's ranked so highly. What what do you think uh, the kind of type of projections you think for him when he comes out into the NHL? What I love the most about Hughes, besides the fact that he had a really outstanding freshman year. 
Uh, it's not easy being a freshman defenseman in, in, in college for a program like Michigan. On top of that, he's a little bit undersized. He's listed under 5'11". Uh, is his upper body strength? He, he actually is. Is he could be physical when it's re- when it's required for him to be physical. He could take a hit. He could mo- shove guys off the puck, bigger guys off the puck. So that's something that I didn't expect to see. Uh, I saw him play for the NTDP, and obviously you're playing in the USHL. Most of the guys you're going to play against are like you know 17, 18, 19. But in college, in the Big Ten, playing against bigger guys. Uh, he didn't have a problem uh, from the physical the, in the physical department. Uh, ve- he's a huge gambler, uh, excellent skater, really fluid, grace, graceful skater, uh, excellent with the puck, a great power play quarterback, has an excellent shot, very very deft. He's nimble, he's agile, he, he spins and dekes and jukes. Uh, I, I think overall, though, if you just look at uh, the way Smith is defensively, and you look at I guess. Um, Buquiff's ability to really dominate and take over a game. I think he has a slight advantage over Hughes. But in Hughes' defense, he had an outstanding uh, world championship. Really had a great thing. So that I wouldn't be shocked if teams watched that performance and said, you know what, this kid's ready. Let's draft him in the top five and uh, put him in the NHL right away. Uh, so now that we got through your, your top ten, looking at uh, 15 through 45 this year, it seems like there's a lot of disparity in rankings around everybody. Uh, does that seem kind of odd to you? It seems like that's the first time in a while between difference in opinion between round, uh, round one and round two. It, it really all depends. You see, I, I assess this draft as a deep draft. I assess this draft as having first round quality well into the second round, if not in the early third round. Uh, and what I mean is by that, people say, well, how could you how could you tell? Number one, what I use is the, the players that are playing in men's league, the European kids mainly, European kids in men's leagues that are doing well and getting top six minutes. So we have a lot more this year than in previous years. Also, the number of first-year eligible kids, 17-year-olds, guys born in you know late 99 or, or you know first half of 2000, that are the best players on their team, or at least one of the top two players on their teams. You have a lot more players this year that have that, that could say that, than last year. Uh, the bigger, to me, the bigger, I guess, uh, 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 the bigger, I guess, I don't know, uh, I guess factoid that I found is interesting is that um, in the world junior championships, it's, it's rarely you see a lot of first year eligible kids, you know, 17, 18 year old kids. So last year we only had about 12 uh, in, in 2017 at those games. Uh, now this past world junior championship, there are about 27. So that means that international teams were more, uh, put more responsibility and were more inclined to play a first-year eligible kid. Even Russia, which never, never has first-year eligible kids unless there's someone special, had uh, Svechnikov playing for them this year. So when you look at the, the fact that the amount of uh, first-year eligibles at the World Juniors doubled from the previous year and the fact that we have so many European kids that are playing well in men's leagues and the fact that we have so many young 17, 18-year-old kids who are the best players on the team, I think this draft is super deep and you are going to get a first-round quality kid late in the second round. Yeah, I think it's just interesting because when you, you I mean, you, you see this all the time when you look at different rankings, but you'll have, you know, a guy like Akil Thomas on some rankings, he's as high as 13, 14, 15. You have him as the 19th best player. And then in some, you'll see him, you know, he's a, a mid a mid 20s pick, and others, he's a late 20s, and in some, he's as low as as the beginning of the second round. And I think you see that with a lot of players. Ryan McLeod's another one. Isaac Lindstrom is, is, a, is a third guy that's like that. Dominic Bach. There's a lot of those guys that on some people's list, they have them a lot higher. And then others, you have them a lot lower. And I know you see that every draft. But this year, it just seems like there's a lot more of those types of guys. Yeah, let me tell you. I mean, I can't speak for anybody else. But I'll give you an example of like, like what, how a kid will leave an impression on me. Yeah. So let's say if I watch a game for the first time. 
whether it's in person or or stream, it doesn't matter. Uh, if I if I watch that first game and that kid leaves a really really good impression on me, then it's locked in. I'm like, okay, so he has the potential. Now I got to see him repeat it, and I'll watch him maybe five, six, seven more times over the next month to see if it's just a shot in the dark, uh, you know, some type of anomaly, or this is really how he plays. It's also the reverse if, if he has a bad game. Uh, what I always do is I always go back and watch film and tons of film, always going back and watching film to make sure if I didn't miss anything. And so th- there, there, it just, there are times where, like, I'll, Kale McCarr, Kale McCarr last year, the first few times I watched him, he was terrible. And I said, you know what? I, he's exciting, but he doesn't has his hockey senses, forget about it. It uh, doesn't seem like he really cares about anything else but just skating and shooting. And then as I watched him as the season progressed, people and people told me, said, hey, look, you got to give this kid a chance. So I think when you get a, a huge disparity in the rankings, it's really just you, you catch a kid on a bad, uh, on a bad game and it kind of sets uh, the impression or you catch him on a good, you know, at a good game. And then from that point on, uh, you, it kind of sets the tone for how you're going to rank that kid. I don't, I don't really like to use international tournaments too much. To really weigh, like if a kid has a bad five games or four games because, you know, he had to travel cross country and play with a bunch of teammates he hasn't played with in about six months. You know, I'm not really going to ding the kid for it uh, unless it's something really egregious where uh, you could tell he's being lazy and is causing problems for his team. But, yeah, I mean, everyone has different things. Like me, I, I look for I look for poise. Poise is a big one for me. Uh, hockey sense, the ability to. Uh, I guess outweight a four like for a defenseman. If a four checker is barreling down on you, what are you going to do with the puck? Are you going to just kind of throw it away and hope to make make the puck someone else's problem, or are you going to basically make a simple little head fake or or, or turn a pivot that's going to buy you that extra second? Little things like that is what I look for. And so the the guys that do that really well, those guys are going to get ranked really high. Yeah, and, and I think that kind of transitions into. Probably the guy who's easily the most controversial pick in this year's draft, and, and that's Ryan Berkeley, where yeah. you know the offense is there, and he's arguably one of the best in the draft uh, if you're looking at his offensive game and what he can do with the puck. Uh, but then the issues come with the defensive side of the puck, and, and sometimes he, he just kind of gives up on plays, and then there's, there's questions of, of issues he has off the ice. You know, Those have all caused his stock to fall. Well, you have him ranked 47th in your yeah. eventual top 500. Give us a little bit of insight on, on what's kind of caused this this controversy around him this year. The thing about Merkley is forget about the the the, the you know the uh, I guess the attitude thing you know because yeah. not 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 every kid is going to be vanilla and yeah. and say what you want to hear. I mean, there's going to be kids that whether they're cocky, arrogant, confident, whatever you want to call it. That, that there's been plenty of superstar Hall of Famers that were like that when they were teenagers. Yeah. So. And that's the key is that they're teenagers. The issue that I have with Merkley is that he's been told since he was about 15 years old, when he was 16, when he made his debut in the, in the OHL, and he was the first overall pick of the OHL draft. So he was a, always a high prospect, is that, yeah, we want you to push the puck. We want you to play with pace. We want you to create plays and be flashy and run the power play. But at the same time, like you need to slowly but surely work on your defense, work on your positioning. When it's, there's a time and a place to take a risk, there's a time and a place where you gotta bust it back and cover for your, you know, your uh, your teammate, uh, communicate well with your partner, things like that. And I, I, now I I don't I'm not an insider with Guelph. I don't know what is said you know behind closed doors, but it's clear that the Mercury that you saw when he was 16 from a defensive standpoint is the same Mercury that you see you saw at the on the 18 World Championships just last month or uh, you know with Guelph. 
later in the season in the OHL. So that tells me that th- that's a kid that, that doesn't want to change. He's very happy with what he does. He relies very heavily on his, his brilliant playmaking ability and his skating ability. And everything else doesn't really matter. That's someone else's problem. At least that's what I see. I'm not saying that he says that, but that's the kind of yeah. when you watch him play and he makes the mistakes that he makes and he makes them again. Now, that's the thing. It's one thing if a kid makes a mistake, he goes back to the bench, you, you know, the coach reads him the riot act and says, hey, dude, don't do that again. Are you going to you know, be stable to the bench or I'm not going to you know, I'll, I'll play somebody else. And usually a, a kid will learn from that and you'll see them give more effort. The thing about Murley is he, he does it like on a shift to shift basis. Yeah. So. Now that ties into the, the 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 reported or the allegations that he's uncoachable and that he's a bad teammate or he has has issues with teammates uh, and that he doesn't listen to his coaches and he has a little bit of an attitude problem. Now I don't, I can't confirm that. I know I've had people tell me no no it's real it's for real, but I can't confirm that. What I can confirm is that what he's he does on the ice it kind of mirrors that uh, people that have that kind of an attitude. You know what I mean? Like if you don't care and you want to be uncoachable because if you don't want to listen to what your coach tells you, then how is that going to translate to the next level? Now, to be fair, Patrick Laine, when he was, I think 15, he gave his coach the bird. Okay. He might've been 16. (laughs) It was some tournament or might've been uh, in junior league play. I don't know, but apparently the coach was saying something to him and uh, he like turned around and like gave him the finger. All right. You know, (laughs) 15, 16, now, do we care about that now? No, he's an elite goal scorer, one of the best in the league. Obviously, he's matured, and he probably, if you if you read some of the quotes, uh, he's definitely, you know, uh, contrite. Uh, he's he said, hey, I, I messed up, I was heated, it, it happens, blah, blah, blah. The other reason why I'm, I'm ranking Merkley so low, though, is that usually players that have this type of stuff uh, against them in their draft year, it usually, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, it usually doesn't go away. So uh, I think he's still a, a great talent. I think if you have multiple picks in the first round or, or second round, uh, he's worth a shot. Uh, I wouldn't make him the centerpiece of my draft. Uh, if you're a team that has only four or five picks uh, this year because of trades or whatever, uh, I wouldn't make him my first pick. <laughs> uh, you know, if uh, you know what I mean? Like, I, I yeah. think that he's he's got to earn being picked high. I, I don't think he's earned it. I think the talent is there. But, uh, I mean, you know, he's going to go into a locker room uh, if he's acting the same way. I mean, he's going to get he's going to get his ass beat. uh, You know what I mean? Sorry for the uh, to use that language. But you you can't you can't be that way in a pro locker room. They'll never take it. and He'll be gone within seconds. And then you turn around. You're like, oh, my God, we just wasted, uh, you know, a a top 15 or 20 pick on a kid that we knew was trouble from the beginning. Yeah. To to me, he draws a lot of comparisons. And and this is just my opinion. So uh, to a guy like Ryan Murphy when he was in the OHL and and Tony D'Angelo where the offense was there and maybe the defense game just didn't follow to the NHL and they were, you know, rated high prospects at the time. And it it really just kind of hasn't rounded it out. You know, with Merkley, you would you would think that you know, say if he got drafted in the Ducks system, he gets put in front of a guy like Scotty Niedemeyer that you know he'd be able to whip him into shape. I know it's hard to foreshadow, and, and it all depends on which organization you he gets into. But do you think he's ever going to figure it out? Do you think if some team does take a flyer and take him in the second round, that it could eventually be a steal if he does get the, the defensive side of the game figured out? Yeah, I think. Oh, here's the thing about the defensive issues. To me, isn't aren't that big of a deal because you could just pair him with if you pair him yeah. with a partner who's like you know, hey, I'll take care of you. You know, every every great puck rusher needs to have that safety net. And it's all about communication, right? But if you're not a good teammate, okay, so you're going to have to basically convince 
you're you have to you're gonna have to become a better teammate and make your partner say, hey, you know what, dude, I got your back. Just just go. I'm gonna sacrifice my points and my my Corsi and you name it. Like you know, you just go do your thing. I'll I'll take care of you. Um, then fine. But the the thing is, is that like when you watched him play with Guelph this year. It, it it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of communication going on. The communication happens once he's inside the offensive zone, and it's brilliant communication. That's the thing. Is uh, so I, I think if you he's gonna he, he's been told time and again he's had advisors and agents and coaches. Everybody's been telling him, "Hey, kids, smarten up," and it still hasn't worked. So you have to wonder, like, when when will it work? What will it take for that kid to finally wake up and say, "Hey, you know what? I, I need to really change who I am." Uh, you know, we were all, you know, 17, 18 years old before we all know that, uh, stuff that we did then, uh, we look back on it. We were 21 and said, Oh my God, I was so stupid. And then the stuff that we did when we were 21, we look back when we were 25 and say, Oh my God, I was so stupid. So it's the same, it's the same yeah. thing with a young kid like that. I think he's definitely worth the risk late in the first round, early in the second round, but only if you have multiple picks or, or, you know, or you, you really have such a desperate need or you have a proven track record of taking in a kid like this yeah. and maybe fixing them. You know, the New York, you mentioned Tony D'Angelo, the New York Rangers always like taking kids like this. Uh, they, you know, Sean Day doesn't really have an attitude problem, but you know, work ethic kind of issues were there. They took him with their first pick in 2016. They traded for Tony D'Angelo. He's actually been pretty good, uh, you know, uh, uh, teammate wise and coaching wise. Uh, so, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the Rangers with all their picks, uh, you know, uh, take a shot at, at him. Cause they really do need a power play quarterback, but yeah, I like just keep your fingers crossed. So I'm kind of shifting gears here back to Anaheim. The Ducks own the 23rd pick in the first round of this year's draft. Who do you think they should be looking at? I know you have uh, Denisenko slated for that spot, but that doesn't mean the Ducks should take it. But just based on what Anaheim's needs are, do you feel like they need to take a forward in that spot? Well, here's the thing. So I, I look at let, let's let's try to be uh, like an NHL draft type of analysis where you you look at you, your like reactionary drafting. You're basing your team needs based on what happened this past regular season. So the the thing that stood out to me about the Ducks was their power play. Uh, I think they had the top power play in the league in 2016, right? About uh, yeah. something, something like 22 or 23 percent. And then uh, last year they had one of the worst. So right. Edmonton had the same, or Buffalo had the same thing happen to them this year, where they went from the top power play in the league uh, to having one of the worst. So, um, to me, I, I think they need that power play quarterback. They need a defenseman. You know, Getzlaff and Perry. Yes, they're getting old. Yes, they're you know, they got a lot of money ahead uh, of their way, but they, they could still facilitate a power play. I, I just think they need that defenseman to do it. As much as I like uh, Josh Mahura, uh, he's not like that classic power play quarterback so in that regard this is this draft is very deep for power play quarterbacks and i think if you looked at, at the ducks history the, the ducks love the ohl i think since 2013 they've drafted about a dozen players from the ohl really if you look at how the ducks have been drafting they, they love major junior hockey in canada they love um uh american players and they love sweden that's about it you know they, they, they don't go, <laughs> they don't go for russians they don't go for really go for Finns. they don't go for czechs uh, i i think uh is you, since about 2013, they've been pretty much mining Canadian Major Junior. So the good thing is that all three of those uh, circuits, I guess, Canadian Major Junior, uh, USA Hockey, and International or Sweden, there's a lot of power play quarterbacks. So you, you know, if you want to go to Sweden, yeah, you might not uh, be able to get the lean or Buquist, but a guy like Rasmus Sandin, who played in Major Junior this year, he might be able to. to he might be there at 23, or uh, a guy like Nils Lundqvist, a very small. 
uh, speedy, creative puck mover who not the best defensively, but also very good uh, setting things up on the power play. You look at, uh, you know, from uh, junior A hockey in Canada, there's two guys going to college, uh, Jacob Bernard Docker and Johnny Tyconic. Uh, they play out in Western Canada. They're going to be going to North Dakota next year. So you can let them go to college and marinate there for a couple of years if you want. Both excellent power play quarterbacks. And then really the, the two guys that I, I think I see as being perfect fits uh, for the Ducks coming out of America, and that's the NTDP guys, and that's Keandre Miller and Bodie Wild. Wild, you want to talk about Scott Niedermeyer, Wild reminds me of Scott Niedermeyer, not to a T, but when you look at the skating and the fact that uh, Niedermeyer, his draft year, wasn't all that great defensively. He was a big gambler. Uh, Bodie Wild is the same way. He's also big and he's a right shot, 6'3". And then you also have the big guy in uh, Keandre Miller, who I, I think I mocked uh, to the Ducks at 23. The thing about Keandre Miller is he's a converted forward. He stands about 6'3". He's got a massive wingspan. Uh, and playing on the NTDP isn't easy. You know, there's always a lot of quality forwards and uh, playmakers up front. So the defensemen are just kind of there, like, all right, you know, you guys go do your thing. Well, this year was a little bit different. This year, the, the NTDP blue line was loaded. I think all six guys you could classify as a two-way defenseman. And Miller was, the, I guess, the more reserved one for most of the season. And then in the second half, he just kind of took off and was being a lot more assertive, carrying the puck through centers. And very graceful skater. He's got a long stride. And he's got a very hard shot, and it's accurate, too. So, uh, oh, by the way, he's also a very good one-on-one defender. And you could be counting him to be a shutdown guy. So, I think, you know, Wild, a lot more risk. He's going to be a guy that has 60-point potential at the NHL level. But, like I said, he's kind of like Merkley, where he just takes a ton of risks and you got to cover for him, whereas a guy like Miller is more of a safety net, but he has that 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 upside that like, hey, wow, he, he could be, you know, like an Alex P- Pietrangelo type or a, uh, you know, uh, you know, one of those like a Ryan McDonough, where a guy where he could play 27 minutes a night, be a number one, put up about 40 points a year, but also the guy that you want to match up against, you know, the Kopitars and what have you. So, uh, you know, defense to me is, is, would be the right choice to go. If they want to go BPA or best player available, uh, you know, if you want to look at a forward in that regard, uh, then, you, yes, you have a lot of quality wingers in Grigory Denisenko, the Russian, who's like a William Nylander clone. Um, uh, and then you also have Dominic Boak, who's the German kid, uh, another winger who puts up a lot of points. I think if I would address two needs for the Ducks, I would say power play quarterback is one, and I would say a finisher, a goal scorer, whether it be a center who could score goals or a winger who could score goals. And this draft has has, has both puck movers uh, from the blue, blue line and a lot of uh, finishers that you'll find in that uh, in that part of the first round. Yeah, they, they really can't go wrong with what they pick. I, I mean, there's no central need for them. I think there, there's some holes in different areas, like you said, defense or finding a puck mover is one, and then finding a goal scorer, whether it be at center and wing. The, the one thing I address, and I, and I have three names here, is, is besides Sam Steele, you really are, are lacking at center depth in their system. Yeah, you drafted Antoine Moran, but it, does he protect as a long-term center? He could be one of those guys that moves to the wing, and I, I feel the same a little bit with Troy Terry. He's a guy that might end up shifting to the wing. Uh, yeah. I looked at a, a guy in uh, Flint, Ty Delandria, a guy who was, wasn't really playing in an organization uh, that, you know, he, he wasn't getting a lot of chances there. He, he was really their main guy, and he had a good season. But you feel like if he was on one of the, the teams that made a deep run in the playoffs, he'd probably be ranked a little bit higher. And I think he's a guy that could go later in the first round, early in the second round, that they could really target and bring into their system. Yeah, let me tell you, usually I don't, I mean, I think any person who does a ranking, no matter what sport it is, they'll tell you that, there are certain players that it just kills them that they have to lower down the rankings. And it's usually because, you know, you just were able to watch somebody else or a few other guys yeah. leapfrogged him. 
more than he did something wrong to, to, to fall down in the ranking. And Delangia is that guy for me this year. I had him as a top about 12, 13 pick in the beginning of the season. He really did nothing wrong. He, he did everything right, uh, the, everything that you'd want in a draft-eligible uh, center. For, uh, he played on a bad team. He was always matched up against the other team's best players. Uh, he's a he's like kind of I don't want to say a poor man's Jonathan Taves because it's I feel like I'm like knocking the kid saying he's a poor man of anything but he he's a complete player he's just uh, he has all the intangibles but he could score he's not like that oh well he's he'll be a good third line center in the NHL like I, I, the the kid is smart he scores goals in a variety of ways and this is a center now so the fact that he played with a, a really thin lineup and he was always that guy that was out there taking late uh, defensive zone draws. Uh, being out there for the key offensive zone draw when you're down a goal. I, I like everything about this kid's game. I'm glad you brought him up because I think that if, if you do want to have that big center, and I, you're right, you look at the depth chart. I mean, who do you have? You have Brent Gates maybe, uh, you know, in, uh, besides uh, uh, Steele and Moran. And if you want to consider uh, Terry, I think Terry's more suited on the wing than he is at center. You, you, you do, yes, you, you, you want that like uh, you know, quality uh, center that maybe uh, could uh, be a safety net uh, in the event that something happens to Sam Steele. So uh, really, Delandria, to me, would be a great option, and uh, I think he's going to surprise a lot of people. Yeah, I, I think he's a perfect guy to slot in behind a guy like Sam Steele. You, you, you know, he can provide the offense, but he is a, a three-zone type of player. And then you, you say to Sam Steele, you can focus more on the offensive side. You'll, we'll put you on the power play. You do that, and then you've got this guy in Delandria behind him that can kind of focus on the other stuff. And then it's not that Sam Steele's a bad player in defensive zone. He's actually very good, but you've just kind yep. of got that stopgap option that you can put behind him. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing you got to consider, too, is if, you, if we're talking about three-zone centers, the fact that the Ducks always draft out of Sweden. I mean, you got three excellent excellent centers from Sweden that uh, could be all three could be first round picks. And that's Jacob Olofsson, uh, David Gustafsson and Oscar back. Uh, they all got size. They all, they're all playmakers. They could all finish the breakaway threats. I uh, got a chance to see them, uh, all three of them at the, uh, uh, the under 18, five nations. Like I talked about, they were impressive. The thing about Olofsson is uh, he was named the best player of the Olsvenskan, which is the Swedish, uh, I guess the AHL their version of the AHL. So, you know, uh, you hear the comparisons thrown out about Kopitar, 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 because obviously he came out of that circuit. So I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, you know, like I said, the Ducks, they go heavy with uh, American trained players. They also like Canadian Major Junior, but they also like Sweden. So if you're looking for that center, that guy to kind of be the complement to Sam Steele, who is more of an undersized playmaker uh, and power play specialist, you can get a, like a real big shutdown guy like a, a Jacob Olofsson or an Oscar Back. And uh, like I said, it, you'd kind of be it'd be a nice balance in the lineup. Yeah, and another guy to Sweden that's getting a lot of attention to is Isaac Lindström, and he had a pretty good World Juniors where he was able to step up there. And, and he's a guy that I know there's there's some people that said he could be playing wing, but he also plays center. He's another guy that if they were to look to go to Sweden, is a guy you can bring in, and, and he's got speed to burn as well. Yeah, I I, I forgot about him, so I really should have said four. I really should have <laughs> said four. Yeah, because I have him ranked pretty high. Uh, and like I said, that ho- it's a whole real, they're all grouped together. Uh, you know, uh, Olofsson at 21, Gustafsson at 22, Lundesson at 24, and I have back a little bit later in the second round. Um, yeah, he, he's a guy, well, he's, people are already comparing him to Leah Sanderson. I, I don't really think that they're similar players. To me, Lundestrom is far more explosive and dynamic and a lot fancier with the puck. But the fact that he played with Lulea as a, as a uh, you know, pre-draft uh, guy on an adult team, he did really, really well. He was able to produce 
uh, was given a significant amount of uh, responsibility. He also played at the uh, world. Speaking of Leah Sanderson, you know, when Leah Sanderson got injured in the game against Russia, uh, they turned to Lundestrom to take over for him as their really their, their top line center. And he did a great job. He actually scored a couple of goals in a big game. I think it was against uh, Slovakia. So, uh, yeah, you, you really can't go wrong with quality NHL, uh, NHL ready uh, centers. I just don't know how, how I guess, uh, I don't know like what their upside is. I think a lot of them are going to be really good. I don't think they'll be great, though. But still, if you're looking at that late in the first round, uh, you're almost guaranteed to get uh, a long-term NHLer. Yeah, and the last guy I want to mention, uh, I mean, I'm in Niagara right now, so I, I kind of have to mention my feeling like an obligation there, but I, I killed Thomas. And you talked about you know looking for guys, draft-eligible guys, who were one of the top two players on their team in their draft season. And Akil Thomas had a great year in Niagara, and he was arguably one of their play- best players, if not their best player this year. Uh, maybe a guy that might project to be a winger in the National Hockey League, but still a guy you should look at at that position. Yeah, he really impressed me. Uh, you know, I started obviously watched him last year, and I always pictured him as being the guy uh, that would be. You know, it's not really a great uh, class from uh, from a forward standpoint uh, for the Canadian Hockey League. So I always felt that Thomas, along with Ryan McLeod and Joe Valeno, and maybe even Barrett Hayton, were that were I guess like the best of the the Canadian Hockey League draft contingent for this year. And they all played really well at the Holinka, uh, which they won gold. And that top line was Joe Valeno centering. And it was Akil Thomas in the wing. And that's where you really saw him, his stick handling, his uh, shot release, the accuracy of his shot. So to me, I'm like, wow, I mean, this kid's got a great shot. I always viewed him as a center. Uh, but now he's playing on the wing and he's, he's done a really good job. You know, obviously Niagara had a really good year this year. And Thomas was playing center. He was, he was pretty much the, the whole year he played center, really good on faceoffs. But at the same time, when they were on the power play, he wasn't really the guy that was facilitating it. And I thought that he did a really good job being a net front presence. Now, he's not a big guy. He's about, I think, 5'11", a buck 70. But he's very, very strong in his skates. He's got a low center of gravity, tough to knock off the puck. And plus, he's just he's got really great hands, too. So when you get the pucks down low and you got a defenseman draped all over your back, you want a guy that could not only hang on to the puck, but also know what to do with it once he gets into that prime shooting area. And I think Thomas can do that. So it's like exactly what you said. What, what, where do you slot him? You consider him a center. You consider him a winger. I think either way, you got a top six, a guy with top six upside uh, that could put up points at the next level. Yeah, and, and you know, moving a little bit on to, to the second or third round, we're not going to go as in-depth here, but in the second round, who's uh, you know one or two guys that you think that could end up being better players, that you know could end up being first-round talent that ended up going in the second round? Well, one guy that, that I, I, again, I hated knocking him down because he was in my first round in my previous uh, mock drafts. I had him mocked uh, a couple of times and uh, for the rankings. He went up in the rankings, but I really wanted to get him into the first round. I couldn't sneak him in. It bothered me. And that's Philip Hallander, another Swede uh, who could play, play wing. He could also, also play center. But he was teammates with Olofsson at Timra. And they were like the dynamic rookie duo, like, uh, you know, the cardiac kids. They were so great together. And the thing about Hallander is that I guess he grew. He grew like two inches at the combine because I, you know, I always, you know, I saw him live a bunch of times, and I always figured uh, if he's listed at six foot, I'm like, yeah, he looks about six feet tall. Well, he's really about six two. He's got a really big wingspan, and he's just an in-your-face uh, aggressive. Really, he's a power forward. I mean, I never really thought of him as a power forward, more of like an energy forward. But looking at his size and how he's he's beefed up, he's an he's a he's a menacing dude. 
And the fact that he was able to put up points against adults uh, really, uh, you know, says a lot about his upside. So he's a guy, I think, he, you know, I ranked him 36. I don't think he's going to be uh, available at 36. I think he'll be gone by then. Uh, another guy that wasn't at the combine, I don't know if it wasn't invited or he just, um, you know, might have, I guess, like kind of fallen under the radar. And that's Jesse Yalonen. And his dad, Yuha, played in the uh, NHL for uh, Arizona, I think. He think, might have even played for the Blue Jackets. But Jesse is a right wing. He's a wiry kid. He's like a poor man's Elias Pettersson. Very, very skinny, but he's he's long. He's about 6'1". And he's got great. He's a two-way. Uh, he's like a dual threat. He could score and he could set up plays. Uh, and he's also very fast, too. I got a chance to see him at the Five Nations two years ago when he was because he's a 99 birth year. Uh, so he was basically playing as a draft minus one for Team Finland. And he played in Finland's uh, version of the AHL. It's called Mestis. And he was playing in that league and did really well. So those two forwards, I think, are two guys that people have slept on. And don't be shocked if they sleep if they slip into the lower portions of the first round. Uh, the other thing is the goalies. There are two goalies that stand out in uh, Jakub Skarik from Czech Republic and Olivier Rodrigue from the Quebec League. I think those two guys, you know, goalies, you know, we all know they take forever to develop and you really can't tell. You're probably not going to see any go in the first round this year and that trend will continue. However, uh, if you just look at their pre-draft resume, the fact that Skarik has played so well in the uh, in the Czech Extra League as a 19, 18, 19-year-old, I, I think the Czech media, they're calling him almost uh, like a, a lesser version of Dominic Hasek. I guess he is the best Czech goalie prospect since Dominic Hasek, you could uh, maybe say that. Uh, but uh, he and Rodrigue, to me, are the, are the two best goalies. And don't be shocked. The, the goalie shoe usually uh, falls uh, around like uh, the, the the early second round. Don't be shocked if it happens maybe even uh, somewhere around that or like the middle of the second round. Yeah, that's what you usually see. I mean, Carter Hart went in the second round uh, last year, I believe. And you, the, you don't really see the days where you got a guy like Marc-Andre Fleury goes number one overall. I mean, you're probably never going to see that again, and I think maybe no. the earliest a goalie gets drafted is probably after pick 20 if you're going to take a flyer and hope that, that he ends up going. I, I mean, really, now the highest you see goalies get picked is early second round if a team really needs that guy in their system. Yeah, I mean, you look at, okay, obviously Marc-Andre Fleury is a bad example because he's in the Stanley Cup Finals right now. Yeah. But if you look at all the recent Vezina winners and Vezina finalists and Stanley Cup finalists, and, you know, last year we had Pekka Rene against Matt Murray. They were not, uh, they were both later round picks. Um, you, know, you know, Henrik Lundqvist, uh, you know, you go down the list, uh, even Braden Holpe now. I mean, these guys are, you don't need, it's almost like uh, kickers in a fantasy football league. Like, you don't, you know, unless someone really, really special is going to guarantee to make your franchise uh, what you want it to be, yeah. it's probably better off to just wait until the later rounds. Cause, and the thing is, listen, there's a lot of good goalies out there, but uh, we all know that a lot of these goalies have a ton of ups and downs. They're only allowed to have so many contracts on an NHL team. So some of these kids go to the ECHL, where, you know, it used to be where if you look at the ECHL and the kid's talent, like, oh my God, he stinks. He's in the ECHL. Uh, but none. And now it's like because you don't have enough room. Uh, you know, to carry these guys, uh, you know, from a contractual standpoint, or really at the AHL level, you let them, you let them stay in the in the ECHL, and even then they come out from the ECHL and become really good NHL goalies. So yeah, I, I think uh, be patient uh, with them, but also don't draft them in the first round. Yeah, the, the guy that reminds me the most of that path you're talking about going to the ECHL was uh, uh, Alex Nedeljkovic after he got drafted out of Niagara. 
I believe it was a second-round pick for Carolina. Then he went yep. over and played in the ECHL, and now he, he had a, a really good playoff run, was part of that historic uh, OT game with uh, Philadelphia's system in the, in the AHL where he's actually become a, a pretty good goaltender and kind of lived up to that potential where they drafted him in the second round. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and even, even Cam Talbot. I mean, uh, I know he didn't have a great year last year, but he was a guy that uh, spent a lot of time in the lower leagues until he got a chance to back up uh, Henrik Lundqvist and, you know, the rest is history. So, yeah, I think with goalies, uh, it's exactly what you said. I think the, the team's view, the, the strategy surrounding goalies is just a lot different now. Unless you have a kid who's like 18 or 19 or 17, whatever you want to call it, and they, they literally dominate uh, their respective league, you're not going to see one go very high. The thing about goalies is if you look at them, if you look at their stats – a lot of these goalies have brutal stats. I mean, it's 17 year old kids. And, uh, but the fact is that they have the height and you got to really think long term when you watch them play. Like, okay, like, you know, we all know goaltending is all about mechanics. It's all about getting the right goalie instructor, whether it be Mitch Korn or Benoit Allaire or, you know, whoever it is. Uh, g- g- give me a, a couple of weeks with this kid and I'll make him into a Vezina winner. So, uh, yeah, you know, from the, the duck standpoint, it looks like they're, they're pretty set uh, in goal. You know, they also got Oli L. Ole Erickson Eck, uh, who I liked uh, them picking last year. So, uh, but you know, then again, you you know, you, you later rounds, you'll probably find the kid somewhere. There's a lot of good goalies though uh, to be available in this year's draft. Yeah, and the, the last round we'll look at here is the third, just because the Ducks have two draft picks in the third. And, and the same thing I asked you in the second. Who who are some guys you think that could go in the third round that maybe you had to slot a little bit lower because of guys just having good seasons? Not necessarily that the guys you ranked in the third round. Did did anything to make themselves get ranked that low? Well, if you if you factor in, I guess the, their draft tendencies and how they don't really like to to go to the Finland and Russia and like that, I'll I'll leave those guys out. Um, Philip Johansson is a defenseman that I think might have been a little bit overvalued in the beginning of the year because he you know played for you know Sweden in a lot of key international events. He was uh, partnered with Adam Buquist. And so he, he looked at like that kind of like that safety net. Uh, and then Adam Yinning is another guy. Uh, they're two different defensemen. They both have size. Uh, Yinning is a big, mean, physical guy. Uh, skating is, I would say, slightly above average. Okay, He's not going to be a speed demon. However, it's very rare to see a 17-year-old kid be so intimidating against other teams. And he's a masher. He loves to mash. I mean, I, I, unless you guys can remind me, when was the last time we had a Swedish defenseman that was one of the most physical defensemen? Uh, you know, you have to go back to what, Olaf Samuelson? I mean, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's usually the two-way guys. You get the Eric Carlson. Or, or yeah, like so, you said, so but, Yinning, yeah. Yinning is that guy. He, he's about 6'4", 205. Uh, and then now Philip Johansson, though, got a chance to watch him a lot this year. The offensive upside, he's just a real – he's like a strawman, Anton Strawman with Tampa Bay. He's just a very clean, heady – uh, top four defenseman. That's what he is. I don't think he's going to put up a lot of points. He, he could be like a Yalmerson that uh, kind of goes under the radar and then turns out to be a really good support guy. And then, oh, by the way, if you put him on a top pairing on another team, he'd probably be really good and he can handle that kind of uh, that kind of responsibility. So those two guys are guys that I'd, I'd look at uh, from a forward standpoint. You know, Aiden Dudas, uh, a really, really creative guy with the puck. He plays center. He's fast. If you got a chance to watch the top prospects game he put on quite a show and he plays for Owen Sound in the OHL. Not easy to do when you're a center and you're playing with the likes of uh, Nick Suzuki and everything, but yeah. uh, I, I really like the way he stood out. He, he gives you the constant, uh, consistent effort from the, uh, from, uh, from the opening draw to the final whistle. 
Uh, and he could, be, he could be that dual threat, like I said, a playmaker and a finisher. So kind of just it, what wrapped up today was uh, the draft combined results are all in. Uh, what kind of merit do you do you put on those results? I mean, I we all remember Casey Middlestack couldn't even do a pull-up, and it hasn't really seemed to affect his game in Buffalo. Is, is, should there be a lot of stock in this? Listen, I completely understand why teams do it. I understand why the league has the event. Um, I, I understand, you know, I was in the military for 13 years, so I understand, like, we, the military, to do a transition from, you know, your typical old school physical training to the CrossFit type stuff to, uh, you know, really build up your strength. So to avoid injury, that's the key thing. So I get why they do it. This isn't really, I don't think teams look at these events where the kid's riding a bike or doing a long jump and say, uh, oh my God, he jumped so high, so he's going to be able to score 40 goals next year. <laughs> I think it's more like they want to see that, like what kind of condition they're in. They want to see if these kids are going to show up to this thing. Uh, you know, are they going to have a beer gut? Are they going to be, uh, you know, like, because uh, they monitor their weight. Central scouting, uh, you know, logs all these kids' weights and heights and weights in the beginning of the season. And so what the teams want to see is, okay, well, he put on 10 pounds. Is it muscle or is it fat? Or he lost 15 pounds. Did he turn fat into muscle? Little things like that. So I understand why they do it. What I don't like the fact is that it's like very public. And, yeah. you know, the thing that happened with, with Middlestat really, really upset me. Normally I don't get to – I don't get – I don't take the draft rankings and this stuff personally. But the fact that uh, – and, I, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm an old school guy. I believe in like tough love. But the fact that, that the focus of Middlestat became that stupid pull-up when yep. everybody knew what a special player he was. He had such an outstanding season in both the USHL and in high school in Minnesota. And you just knew that he, he there's a lot of, you know, his upside was through the roof that, you no, know, we're going to fo- not only focus on the pull up, but we're going to plaster his picture everywhere about him struggling to do it. To me, I'm like, well, w- w- why are you doing this? Uh, so that's the stuff that obsessed me. Thankfully, I think this time around, there wasn't any major story that came out of it. I think both Rasmus Deline and Andre Svestikov and some other names that did really well. Uh, Jack Gorniak is a, a power winger that plays in uh, – he's a draft overager by a year, but he plays in the Wisconsin high school system. I think he's going to go to Wisconsin uh, next year. Uh, he, he, hit, he hit the ball out of the park in all, most of the events. So he's a name that you'll see probably climb up. We saw that happen last year with Josh Norris uh, who played for the NTDP. Uh, he – I mean it was ridiculous what he did at the combine last year. I think he won like like seven events. The thing is though is like if you look at the rankings – I was looking at them today and I'm actually compiling a list – uh, to post it on my on my blog is that like central scouting will rank a kid 20th even though he had the same score as a kid that was 11th so they don't you know they don't say like tied for 11th they'll just say oh he's he's 20th in that event yeah. i don't know why they do that so if you're looking at the numbers you're like oh Svetsukov finished 20th and Deline finished first so Deline is the better prospect you know I, I don't think the teams do that but the fans the fans do that it gets yeah. a little bit annoying uh the interview portion though is important and listen just like any job uh, you know, if you if you're gonna in, invest uh, your future into somebody, uh, you probably should find out a little uh, question or two about their lives and put them in a I guess a little bit of a tough situation to see how they respond to it. So I get it. Uh, it just, in far as uh, my rankings go, no bearing whatsoever unless a kid, you know, hurts himself really bad there. And uh, that's why I, I like to release my final rankings before the uh, uh, before the uh, the combine. Yeah, I, I mean. I think when a guy has an outstanding performance, you maybe take that into a little bit of consideration. I mean, Liam Foody was a guy I've always liked watching him in London this year. He was one of the better performers at the Combine, but that was, I guess, kind of expected because I believe he's also a a hurdler as well, so he he has that behind him. But, 
he he's a guy I think that that could surprise in this draft. I mean, obviously performed well at the combine. Is probably one of the faster players in this draft. And then you know you always see these guys come from London that are playing behind the you know the Mitch Marners, Matthew Kachucks, Max Jones, Cliff Poo, Robert Thomas. I mean, he's playing behind all these guys throughout his entire career with London. Uh, you don't get to see him if if he was to run the show. I think he's a guy that can surprise a lot of people, and it's always a bonus to have when you're one of the faster players in the draft. I mean, Alex Fermentin was that type of guy last year for the Sens, and ended up playing, I believe, a couple games with them at the beginning of the season. Yeah, fo- uh, yeah, uh, Foodie and uh, Billy Moskal were two guys that I had my eye on uh, in the beginning of the season because London entered the season with a loaded lineup, and I'm like, you know what? It just looks like London's going to probably trade these guys away. It's just how that's how the OHL, the CHL, really is. Like you know, you could only the, the goal isn't to build a dynasty. It's the goal is to just stay competitive forever, so you could uh, you know fill seats. Uh, so when when they had their little fire sale, really it started at the World Juniors when they when London had to send all those guys uh, to Buffalo for the for the WJC and guys like Foodie and Moscow. Really, I mean, I think Moscow had like two points in like 21 games. Like he barely yeah. played. He was like on the fourth line. Richard Whitaker was another guy. And then when they, all those guys left, uh, then you saw them really take off. And, I, and really, that's the big reason why I liked Evan Bouchard. I, Bouchard, his skating still is a concern to me. Uh, but I like the fact that he some consider him to be a top five or ten pick. It makes sense because he's really ran that team uh, when all those big guns were gone. That, to me, that means a lot. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was that's I think a big reason why people are considering him maybe even the second best defenseman after uh, after Rasmus Dahlin is because he stepped up and carried that team. I believe he was was the captain with London, and then he ends up yep. leading them in points. And you know, he quarterbacked the power play. He was it was on the penalty kill for them. And yeah, you know, skating is always an issue, but when you can step up and lead a team and lead them in in every facet of the game as a defenseman, I think that's huge. And especially for a team who ends up losing pretty much all of their their competitive players, I, I think that's a big reason why he ends up getting ranked as high as he does. Yeah, I, I, the thing about London is, just like you said, you can't sleep on them. They obviously they, yeah. they know what they're doing when it comes to player development. Even Al, Al, Alex Regular, uh, who you know the American kid who who uh, left the USHL to play there this year, uh, he did a pretty good job of the combine, and you know he's a really good two way defenseman as well. Uh, put up more points, I think, than we expected him to put up. So I think you'll see London have their typical you know four or five guys picked this year, and uh, don't know if they'll have a first round there besides Bouchard, but uh, you know I wouldn't be shocked if they get at least four guys in the top one hundred. Yeah, I mean, the, the last question, one of the last questions I kind of have here, and, and you know, Bob Murray is a guy that usually, when he says his strategy, I guess you could say it for the draft, is he always says they're just going to kind of pick the best player available, and, and we kind of hear that from a lot of GMs, and and that's just kind of the cliches that they're they're not going to really focus on an organizational need, and they're going to go with the best guy available. What what do you think is the best strategy? I know it's hard; it, it depends on the team, but do you think it's better to just go with the best guy available? or go with an organizational need at, at, the, at least in the first round? I mean, really, it depends on, it depends on what your need is. Uh, you know, yeah. if you have a, to me, a need isn't like, you know, you need to fix the power play. It's like, oh my goodness, uh, we only have three centers uh, or like we only have three skaters signed under contract from the last four drafts. So yeah. we have to, you have to fix this. Um, you know, I think you look at some teams, making a habit of drafting kids and then just not even giving them contracts. So it's like, like, like who does that says to me, it says more about the team than it does the player. Um, I think it never hurts to address a need, but when they say best player available, I I always felt like what they really want to say is the guy that could make the NHL 
the fastest. Like that's what they want. They want the guy that really it's going to take maybe another year in junior and maybe another year in the minor leagues, and then that's it. Like a mature, coachable kid who has uh, the ability to produce points if he was given the opportunity to do so. Um, so yes, like best player available. I mean, what different teams could best best could mean something differently. Best could mean yeah. the most stats. Best could mean the best skater. Best could mean the uh, most mature. Best could mean uh, you know the highest uh, combine scores. You know what I mean? So it all really depends on what the organization uh, has done. Uh, in the past, you got to look at their their previous drafts. Looking at the Ducks' previous drafts, to me, like it just seems like they like uh, physically mature, but also mentally mature. They like guys that just could think the game at a high level. And even though Max Jones and Maxime Comtois could be, you know, hotheads at times, they're still very smart players. They're not uh, they're not very careless with the puck or do things uh, really egregious. Where you say, you know, what a stupid play, uh, you know. So I, I think. From from a duck standpoint, they like players that just could think the game at a high level. I know that sounds cliche too, but it goes back to what I said about you know puck poise and how to to deal with pressure and adversity, how to handle a forecheck, how not to pass the puck to a teammate when he's covered, little things like that. You know, it's the stuff that people rarely talk about. But you know, it's very easy to to uh, to ruin a play or a breakout in the neutral zone because you made a stupid play, and you see a lot of guys in the NHL that have been in the league for yeah. 15 years. Like, I can't tell you how many times I watch my team, the Rangers. I'm like, oh, what a stupid play. What a dumb play. Oh, that's a lazy play. So I think uh, nowadays, yes, they want guys that could skate. They want guys that could score. They want guys that could do fancy plays that end up on YouTube and you know put fannies in the seats and sell jerseys and the whole nine. But ultimately, I think the, the thing is to, to get a kid that's mature, is, is uh, adaptable, and you could basically bend and shape him into the way that you want and make him really a good contributor to the team at the NHL level. So we haven't even gotten to this year's draft yet, but looking ahead at next year, everyone's talking about Jack Hughes. He's slated to go number one in the 2019 entry draft. Some of the experts are saying he's better than Matthews and Line. That's some pretty high expectation. Is, is that kind of where you see him too? Are they about right? I mean, he is he's a really dynamic player. I mean, he's a little out of control. I think the Jack Hughes you're going to see next season, I think he's going to go to Michigan. I, mean, I don't even know if he's really announced what he's doing. Uh, I mean, he might be stay with the NTDP for all I know. Uh, he's a he. You see a lot of Connor McDavid in his game. He's just explosive. He's dynamic. He the agility, the pivoting, the his ability to just elude people, uh, make other people around him better. I see it. He just he, he's still young, so he's doing a lot of the one on fours and the the one on threes. And you want to see him kind of like tone that down a little bit and be more of a a complete player. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you look at the other guys, uh, you know. Capo Caco, the Finnish kid, is is another one that uh, you know he's had so many strong tournaments. Uh, Raphael Lavoie, uh, you know the kid, the kid that plays for uh, for Halifax in the Quebec League. Like you know, it's, it's going to be a really good draft. I don't know if it's going to be as deep as this one. I don't know if you're going to have a defenseman uh, the likes of Deline up there. You're not, but um, you know, it's what's going to happen is there's going to be somebody that's going to challenge Hughes about the midway point in the season, and then it's going to be you know, the race for number one. But right now it looks like it's Hughes' to lose. Well, hey, Steve, we appreciate you guys. You, you coming on the show and talking with us. It's been an over an hour and a half. It's been a great show. You really enlightened me. You and Eddie back and forth it really schooled me. It was, it was nice to hear people talking about stuff I don't know a whole lot about. So we really appreciate your time. Oh, man, th- thanks for inviting me. Anytime uh, you guys want to do this again, please let me know. And if you got, do you have any plugs? you want to plug anything you got coming up or where people can find your work? 
Well, the website's thedraftanalyst.com. Uh, Twitter handle is at thedraftanalyst. And uh, I basically released my top 500 rankings. My final rankings came out about last week. I got about four or five more projects for the sporting news coming up. You can follow them at SN underscore NHL. It's basically the, sport, the, the sporting news, but then now they're just called sporting news. Uh, and then, of course, Dauber Prospects. I think I'm done with them for this year, but uh, you know, I, I contribute a lot of stuff with them throughout the year. Give them a follow, at Dauber Prospects. And then really, I mean, the last thing I'm going to do is do my full seven-round mock draft uh, and my 2019 draft preview. That should be out in about a week. And then if you want to just go to the website, uh, I got a lot of draft profiles. I'll be beefing those up. And I'm going to try to squeeze in. Uh, I'm Actually, for the Sporting News, I'm going to do some divisional previews. So uh, I'm going to be doing a Pacific Division preview. Uh, so I'll be tweeting it out uh, when it's done, probably maybe sometime next week. Right on. Well, thanks again for your time, Stephen. Have a great night. All right, guys. Thank you. Take care. Take care.